Welcome to Green Shoots, hosted by the Arbor Group at UBS. My name is Jack O'Connor. And I'm Mike France. Green Shoots is a podcast that focuses on the UN Sustainable Development Goals and the people and organizations that are aligned with these objectives. Today, our extra special guest is Ken Riles with the King County Library System Foundation. Ken joined the Library Foundation in January of 2020 after spending 17 years with Microsoft, where he was head of corporate social responsibility, philanthropies, and technology for social impact. As always on the Green Shoots podcast, we're focused on how our guests are working towards achieving the 17 sustainable development goals, of which KCLSF is focused on goals number four, quality education, and number 10, reduced inequalities. Jack, I've known Ken for a couple of years now. He's a really smart guy, and is one of the few people that I know of that's in the nonprofit world but has extensive for-profit experience. So his perspective on the foundation's mission and outreach programs, I think, will be really interesting. So without further ado, Ken Riles. Ken Riles, welcome to Green Shoots. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Got a number of questions, and I know you have a limited time with us today, so let's go right into it. Sure. You've been at the helm of the King County Library System Foundation for a little over two years now. When you accepted the position of executive director with the Library Foundation, what was your perception of libraries in general, and has that changed? When I joined uh, about two years ago, my perception of libraries was, was of course, very positive. I've always felt that libraries were a critical part of our local communities, and I myself had transformative experiences as a youth that were due to our libraries that really opened up opportunities for me to understand our world more and to achieve more. So when I joined, I, I thought of libraries in that way as, as places that are open to everyone in our community to gain knowledge, to access information, to get guidance from skilled librarians, and to, in that way, realize more opportunity. So since, since joining, that perception hasn't changed. But over the last two years, I've learned that our libraries do much, much more than I think what most people realize. Really, when I think of our King County library system, which has 50 libraries, it has the leading per capita digital usage in the United States. We serve 1.6 million people. We have 1,000 employees. Yes, this is delivering on those services I mentioned earlier, but what I see our library system now as is really a, a platform for social impact and for positive change for our communities. We have this amazing reach. We have these amazing employees that care about their communities. And what our libraries are doing are things like they're reaching out to people to provide literacy and learning programs. And that includes everyone from pre-K kids to adults who are seeking lifelong learning opportunities. They're reaching out to people in homeless communities to inspire and empower them in, in many ways. They're reaching out to older adults who, during the pandemic, suffered from isolation and other issues, and where our library outreach services are really bringing these kind of core services to people in ways that are opening new opportunities, promoting equity, strengthening our communities. And where our mission is, is really coming alive in so many ways that I didn't realize when I, when I first joined. So this 
for me as a nonprofit leader really points to a tremendous opportunity that we have to really leverage this amazing platform, which is our library system, to really meet the needs of more people in our community, to inspire and empower more people to realize their full potential. Great. And your tenure started in January 2020, obviously just right before COVID surged in the United States. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the adaptations you made given the mobility restrictions and the fact that library buildings were closed? The pandemic, of course, has been a tough time for everyone and for all organizations and especially for nonprofit organizations that relied heavily on having open doors to serve the public. I'm really proud of how our libraries and our library staff and our nonprofit staff have adapted and to the challenges of the pandemic and have really innovated to continue meeting the needs of our communities. And during the pandemic, of course, we saw many issues from social isolation, I mentioned earlier, to kids experiencing learning issues because everything was remote, to people experiencing job loss and and needing economic empowerment programs. And so all of our work in those areas continued. So, for example, our libraries provided safe curbside services for people to pick up information that they checked out. We increased our digital circulation. So we increased the number of titles of books and information that we offered online because we knew that people were going to rely more on digital usage and and the internet to access our services. Our social impact programming, so those literacy and learning programs, economic empowerment programs, and so forth, we migrated those to virtual, 100% virtual delivery, which was great for us because it actually allowed us to meet the needs of more people than we were able to when they were 100% in-person programs. Also, something that was great, I think, is that we expanded our partnerships with local community organizations to really advance literacy, STEM learning, economic empowerment, and other program areas. So, for example, we migrated to our a lot of our book donations, and we had these STEM learning kits and, and programs. We worked with organizations like local food banks and community centers to distribute those to people in need where we knew that they could reach families who were perhaps you know struggling with some of these issues where we could provide them really helpful material on an ongoing basis through a place that they had to go to you know to in, in the case of food banks and and so forth where it was just a, a natural sort of thing for them to receive this material So these are things that we did where we really worked to adapt to the situation, to expand our reach, to work with others, to make sure that the services that we were providing in person before the pandemic continued and where we could continue to advance our mission of inspiring and empowering everyone in our community. Yeah, and certainly a much larger mission than just providing free books or DVDs or or audio files to people that come and visit the actual library building. I remember when I was a kid and my first experience at a library was just going through the card catalog and just seeing thousands and thousands of those little cards and the, the 
little drawers and you have to be very careful because you have to put them back in the right spot. Be careful, Mike. uh, You're you're dating yourself, Mike. That's like, no, (laughs) just kidding. Fair enough, Ken. But I do have a few more gray hairs these days and then probably two years ago when you first met me. (laughs) But to that point, so much of our memories of libraries around the actual physical building. Mm -hmm. And there are probably some people out there, especially in this day and age, that think, hey, I read ebooks, I get my news from Twitter, other line, other online sources. Why do we need physical library buildings? And I guess what's what would be your rebuttal for folks that question the relevance of the actual physical library structure these days? First thing is that I acknowledge, we acknowledge as an organization that the world is changing rapidly. Digital transformation is happening across industries, across society. And that does mean that people's behaviors, you know, how they access and consume information and knowledge and how they get various services will change and continue to change rapidly. So we acknowledge that as a foundation, we have invested significantly in-person programming, and we've invested in a, a lot in digital programming, so that ideally, depending on how a person wants to consume information, the library is able to provide that, the time, the, the place, the mode, the format that the patron desires. So that all said, we are seeing certainly increased digital usage. As I mentioned earlier, we are the the leading per capita digital library in in the U.S., but we still have a significant demand for in-person resources. We have a lot of, and since we've reopened our buildings and we're, uh, you know, many months into reopening now, we've seen a lot of a strong public response to, to wanting to utilize our buildings and our in-building resources and everything. My sense on things in talking to people is that, you know, people do view our libraries as really central, you know, important institutions in their local communities. They are places for people to certainly go check out books, get information, get guidance from librarians and and access programs for their kids. They're also places for people to convene and connect with each other. One important modification to our local libraries that I, I did not mention earlier was internet access. So Internet access is something that's an issue in King County. So about one in seven, one in eight households do not have broadband access to the internet. And the primary reason for that is affordability. So we've boosted our internet access services and computing services at our at our libraries. And we have loaner programs for hotspots, things like that, which we provide to the public. So we we do see people coming in to access and utilize those services a lot. You know, we see a lot of students in our buildings. So, you know, after school, students coming in to get resources, to get guidance, to participate in programming and that sort of thing. So these are things that make our buildings relevant. We always watch building utilization but I think the, the sweet spot here for us is to continue doing things digitally and in buildings, which, again, provide the patron access to the things they want, information, knowledge, programs, books that provide that that service in, in the mode they want, whether it's digital, in person or, or other. It's always kind of crazy to me when you think about all the massive tech companies that are located in King County and just the fact that that many people would not have just simple broadband internet just seems kind of crazy. So it's definitely a big gap that you're filling. 
I kind of want to switch gears a little bit and just ask a lot of metro areas around the United States have been confronted with a crisis of people struggling with homelessness. Has that impacted which programs are prioritized by the foundation? I have the privilege of working with a wonderful board who guides our program investments from our foundation. And we have prioritized helping to address the homelessness issue in King County. And the the fact of the matter is the number of people experiencing homelessness, which ranges from children to families, to adults, to, to veterans, you know, there are various groups. It's grown in greater King County. And so we do as a community need to work together to address this in, in more meaningful ways. So our approach has really been, again, mission-driven. We are here to inspire and empower everyone in our community. And with the case of people experiencing homelessness, that means we need to bring our services, our programs to those people in those homeless communities. And today we have out, we fund outreach programs that serve more than 50 homeless communities in King County. And our services include providing literacy, economic empowerment, job skills, internet access, and, and other services that are really meant to help people to to learn, gain skills they need, perhaps get help on finding jobs, on finding housing solutions, that sort of thing. And, and one thing I'm very excited about now that we've funded is what we call peer navigators. And well, let me describe what this is. So peer navigator is someone who has experienced homelessness themselves at some point and who really understand with empathy and, and kind of life knowledge, the challenges that a person who is homeless faces. These are people that we now employ who are working with people in homeless communities so that to, to really guide them through the process, you know, if it's healthcare. So for example, we have examples of where people could not get vaccinated during the pandemic because a lot of the registration was done online. So we brought online services, broadband services to homeless communities, and we helped people to actually get vaccination appointments and that sort of thing. These peer navigators have also helped people to get housing and transitional housing solutions. So in, in one community that we served, I, I just learned that more than three quarters of the, the people in that community have found housing solutions. And so these are things that really are important for us. They're, they're proof that our investments and our partnerships in the community, we're not doing this alone. We're working you know, with other nonprofit organizations and, and King County government to really advance these services so that we can meet the needs of more people who are unfortunately in this situation. Following up on that, can you tell us a little bit more about the other advocacy work uh, KCLSF is engaged in and what you think has been most successful? When I think of advocacy, I I try and keep this really simple. It's really telling the story of what our libraries are doing, what, what our mission is, what our vision is, and how we're serving the community. And what I've found is that when I share all the things our libraries are doing, it surprises people. They kind of go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that our libraries were doing that. I thought they were just places to go check out books and, you know, and, you know, do the summer reading program, that, that sort of thing. They, they don't realize that we're providing services to so many populations in need and we're helping and partnering 
to address some of these really hard issues in our communities from joblessness to learning issues to homelessness, as we just described. So I think the most successful thing that we've done in advocacy is telling that broader story of what our modern day libraries are really doing to serve our communities, to strengthen our communities, to inspire people of all ages, to really empower people in a way that promotes equity and strengthens our communities. That's great, Ken. I know we're kind of running up against our time here uh, today, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, since you're the executive director of a library foundation, if I didn't ask, what books are you reading now and what would you recommend our listeners check out? Okay. Yeah. Well, First of all, one nonfiction piece. I'm I'm very much into nonfiction. So I read about 80% nonfiction, 20% fiction. But I'm reading Stanley, which is by Tim Geale. So this is the story of one of Africa's legendary and perhaps greatest explorers. So that's one. I'm reading the The Good Society by economist John Kenneth Galbraith from the University of Chicago. So I was an econ major in college, so I like to read this stuff, which many others, including everyone in my family, find boring. Uh, but you, you too, as investment professionals, yep. might, might appreciate it. And I'm reading Ed King which is a novel. This is the fiction piece I'm reading by David Gooderson, who also wrote Snow Falling on Cedars and is a best-selling and, and heralded local author that we're actually going to meet tomorrow in person. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Great recommendation. I'll have to check those two uh, last titles out that you mentioned there. And I'm the same way. I read books and my wife just kind of shakes her head out and saying, how do you read that right before bed? And to be honest with you, it's like two pages and I usually fall asleep. But eventually I get through the book. And and one I'm reading right now is Dalio's book on uh, the uh, changing world order, rise oh. and fall of, of empires. And then heady, heady uh, stuff, Mike, good, good for you. <laughs> it gives me a great night's sleep, like I said. And then on the uh, fiction side, listening to Lincoln Highway by Amor Tolls, who oh. also wrote The uh, Gentleman in Moscow, great author. Those are good ones. Well, Ken, been so generous your time today. I was Really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much. Look forward to having you back at some point in the future. Thank you very much, Mike and Jack. I really appreciate the time and uh, have a great rest of your day. Hey, Jack, that was a great discussion with Ken today. I have the sense that the foundation is laser focused on bridging the digital divide and making sure that folks in our communities have access to the information they need in order to achieve their goals, whether it's landing a new job, searching for permanent housing, or students trying to maintain their literacy when school's not in session. What was your takeaway? Well, I think first and foremost, it's pretty obvious how busy Ken and his staff have been trying to adapt throughout the pandemic to fill in a lot of the gaps, whether it's the broadband access you were kind of mentioning there, or just permanent housing or job searches. I also didn't really know anything about, but I appreciated the concept of the peer navigator for the outreach services for people experiencing homelessness. I think it's a great idea, super helpful, and just something that I think is going to have a direct impact that's very immediate as well. Couldn't agree more. And I thought the peer navigator concept was brilliant as well. We thank you for listening to this episode of Green Shoots. Please take a minute to check out our other episodes featuring nonprofits and thought leaders in our community on Spotify. We also appreciate your questions, feedback, or comments. You can email us at thearborgroup at ubs.com. All one word, thearborgroup at ubs.com. See you next time on Green Shoots. Green Shoots.